Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Talking Cleveland.com podcast with Cleveland.com and Plain Dealer columnist Terry Pluto and me, David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. Terry, big news this week, big story of the week. Tom Brady and Giselle are having some issues and might be splitting up. Did you hear about this? No. Yeah, there's a lot of Ask speculation. Ask me if I care about it. <laughs> I know you don't. Hey, <laughs> maybe this. there's a lot of things I hear about I don't care about, so I ignore yeah, well, there's a lot of people kind of speculating about why they're splitting, but uh, Annie Agar, she covers the NFL for Bally Sports. She says that she's hearing that every time Giselle touches Tom, she gets a 15-yard penalty. So that's been a big issue. So. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> I, I mean, some of the – I for that line. You know, I thought that was and, a great and line. I, I say uh, Jacoby should have got an, uh, at least an Oscar uh, nomination for that penalty he drew. Yeah, it's just, it's so crazy. Like I mean, he was pushed a little bit, and then like he fell off the top of the Empire State Building. I mean, it was just like. Well, I, I'm envisioning like on Saturday Night Live this week. You know how they do the cold open mm-hmm. at the start of the show? Yeah. They're gonna have they're gonna have an NFL game, and Tom Brady's gonna be back, and a defensive lineman's gonna come in and sack him. But he's gonna like hold him up. He's gonna put like a mattress down. And then yeah. he's going to lay him down and bring him a hot chocolate or something. And, uh, and the hot chocolate's going to be too hot, and they're going to flag him for unnecessary roughness or something. And then they're going to say, and, "Live from New York, it's Saturday night." You know, it's right? Like, and, and I do get the you know the the thing behind the rule. They are defenseless throwing the ball because that's what they're doing. And secondly, um, they are so important to the product, as the NFL would say, or their brand. But it it also is football. And, I mean, you know roughing when you see it, right, Terry? I yeah, mean, you you're do. like, that was roughing. And and this stuff we've seen the last few days is not. Like, it's no. just not. I mean, if you – I remember when I played uh, touch football back at uh, St. Barnabas in junior high. You know, the teacher would come out. Mr. Flynn was his name. And he would be back there in the uh, uh, quarterbacking for both teams. And you weren't allowed to touch him. It was a snap to him, and he would just hold the ball until he threw it to – whoever he wanted to throw it to and his idea was kind of like coach pitch you know keep it keep the keep it moving both ways but nobody touches mr flynn and it is that way with tom brady it'd be known as the mr flynn rule going forward yeah. no, no nobody touches me but. it worked great in the parking because we were playing on a concrete parking lot so you really didn't want you know i yeah. also i look back and i, I Boy, we talk about it. I double digress, but I'm sure some of us think back to elementary school or junior high or whatever recess. And it was so cool when there were certain teachers that went out and, you know, played with us at whatever it was, because it kind of took them off of the mantle, uh, especially those of us who are older, of like, you know, the teacher's this exalted figure. Yeah. Look at him. He's actually sweating. Yeah. 
Who knew? Who knew our teachers? Who could knew? Sweat and play I sports. picked him off in a game once. I was very happy about that. Did you bring it back to the house on him? <laughs> not, not quite. But I mean, it was a, you know, it was my one great football moment in my life. So there you go. Oh well, I didn't mean to get us off on Tom Brady, but I thought that was a, a pretty funny line by Annie Agar. Yeah. So I thought I would yeah, share that. Was. All right, Terry. So the Guardians versus the Yankees. Game one was last night, and. I love this phrase you used in your column about it, in your message to fans was like, all right, don't panic. It's one game. It's a best of five series. And you pointed out how the guardians have been relentlessly resilient, which I thought was a wonderful turn of phrase. But uh, the morning after or the, the afternoon after now, I guess it's afternoon and we're taping. Are you still feeling the same way? Yeah. I mean, we need a big game. We be just, if you just love baseball and want this to be a good series, we need a big game from Bieber. That'll be the key thing. Uh, I bet if Terry Francona had to do it over again, it would have been five and five for Cal Quantrill. He, he went through the five innings, two runs. My guess is he was trying to get him through, you know, maybe part of the sixth anyway. But he had the whole bullpen rested, everything else. And I remember some of his other playoff games where he pulled starters after five. He pulled a couple after four. Um, so that would be one thing he would do over. But in the end, even if he did and they stayed at two to run, the Guardians just didn't hit. But they also faced Garrett Cole. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you felt this way, Terry, watching the game, but I'm watching the first inning, and they got they pushed Garrett Cole to, I think, 24 yeah. pitches in the first inning. And then you watch the second inning, and he was up to 39 pitches after the second inning. And then Josh Donaldson pulled the most unguardians play ever. Yeah. When when he hits the ball off the top of the wall and he's celebrating a home run going around first base and and uh and Oscar Gonzalez just throws the ball in and they tag him out like that's a play the Guardians would never make mm-hmm. and he did and I'm watching though I'm watching this all right well the pitch count is getting up and yeah. they just made a boneheaded play but running the bases like this is how the Guardians win is they just do everything right. But then, you know, you make one mistake against this team and it's out of the park. I mean, that's pretty yeah. much what it is. So, uh, I mean, that kind of, is a danger. Like we thought after that. Teams. And also right now I'm looking at their stats. All right, David, in four playoff games, how many walks do the Guardians have? In in three? Three, three excuse me. In three, yeah, the three playoff games, excuse uh, me. Five? Four. I gave you the answer that was staring at it. Four. <laughs> and and the, the point being, of course, they're not getting on base. Uh, they're not hitting, and they're also not drawing many walks. I mean, it's, it's a t- terrible ratio of 35 strikeouts to four walks. Uh, so they need to work the count a little better with some of these guys. But that, I also understand, is anxiousness. Now, you think of the three pitchers they faced, you know, McClanahan, Glasso, and uh, Cole. Their average fastball for those guys was 98. I mean, that these were prime arms going with, uh, you know, breaking balls that are really nasty. So that's that's a tough deal. But I'm looking here. I was glad to see Jimenez get a double in that game because, remember, he struck out, I believe, six times in that long game, the 15-inning game. And so – you know he he he. They need him. He he got a double. Uh, went to the opposite field. Ramirez, who's hitting four eleven for a career in Yankee Stadium, he got a couple of hits. Um, you know, hasn't played badly in the playoffs. Hasn't shown up as Miles Straw. He's got three hits. So 
Uh, I felt a little bad for Oscar after he made that the, the, the smart play of throwing Donaldson out. That ball went into the corner, and, and he looked a little like SpongeBob there when SpongeBob has one of his panic moments, and you know he's dropped the cat. Uh, Crabby Patty on the floor and can't find it and is slipping around. Well, that's how the ball goes through his legs and where did it go? And they're running around the bases. Um, but in the end, I don't think that's why they lost. They just, bottom line, they didn't hit and the Yankees hit a couple homers. Yeah, and that bases loaded situation where they yeah. weren't able to get a, a, any runs across, that was that was tough too. So, yeah, so a couple meant, times, yeah. by the way, with bases loaded, uh, Naylor's hitting the double plays. He's hit the ball hard, but hit it right at the wrong people. You know, those two hoppers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and they had a few hard hit balls last yeah. night that just just went right at somebody, uh, and that's going to happen. So so you mentioned, you know, the Guardians need a great performance from Shane Bieber in game yes. two, which might happen Thursday night if it doesn't rain, or they might have to push it to Friday. What else needs to happen for the Guardians to, to get a win in New York? Well, I was pleased to see Quan. You know, he, he was 0 for uh, uh, 9, I believe, in the uh, – against Tampa Bay and he got a couple of hits. He also had a line drive and uh, you know, he's, he's only drawn one walk. They just need some of these guys who have pretty good eyes to, to, to get on base. Um, you know, now Nestor Coates, Cotes, excuse me. Uh, this is a tough one. Watch Jose Ramirez in that game because while Jose's hit most of the Yankees, he's 0 for seven or four strikeouts against uh, Cotes. So am I saying that right? I believe. Yeah, I think Nestor so. Yeah. Cotes. Yeah. And um, that would be one. And let's try to get in the Yankee bullpen and see what would happen. By the way, the Guardian bullpen right now in the playoffs, 15 and a third scoreless innings. Something, huh? That's why you go back and rewind it and pull in Quantrill uh, maybe would have been been the way to go there um, after five. And I, you know, I saw some chatter on social media about like what Terry Francona should have done differently last night. There's, I mean, you mentioned maybe that's going about to the, the only thing I could earlier, but there's with. really not much else you can do as a manager. No, I mean it's easy to sit at home and say, oh, why are they swinging at those pitches? Yeah. But when you're when you're sitting on uh, a fastball and you get some of those nasty <laughs> breaking pitches we're seeing, it's hard to lay off. So, or they're but paying I, I the guy from a manager's yeah. point of view that you could really have asked for anything else right last night i don't look yeah these guys he believes in them and that's why i liked after the game he said i don't think the moment was too big or whatever we just got beat and once in a while that's simply a a great pitcher their number one was against your number three and Quantrill, by the way is one of my favorite pitchers on the cleveland staff partly because he doesn't have beaver's total stuff or he doesn't have McKenzie's arm. You know, he's a guy that, yes, he was a first round pick by the Padres, but they cast him off. They, they could felt he couldn't start. They put him in the bullpen. Cleveland had to rework his whole motion. You know, he pitches with a lot of emotion. He walked, you know, I know he throws 93, 94. So it's not like he's just throwing cream puffs up there, but there's nothing about Quantrill when you look at him go that boy, that pitch is a killer. Yeah. He battles. He, he battles. just That's battles it through. And I think five innings takes a lot out of him in Yankee Stadium in the playoffs. So that was the reason why, you know, I probably would have would have pulled him. And but in the end, as he said, we got beat. 
now I'm curious to see how they come back. And they have a day to kind of plan for mm-hmm. tomorrow. So yeah, I, you know, you look at this. You just this team has been remarkable all year. Uh, I saw something online. Somebody said, "Well, why didn't they play Will Brennan in right field?" And uh, it let Oscar DH. I guess you could have, uh, but you know, Oscar's played a really good right field. He has, and I know that ball got away from him, but. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Will Brennan, I think, batted like 45 times during a regular season. And, and of course, he's my guy, by the way. You know, so he's one of those. Uh, my guy. Uh, my guys, I always like to remember the ones like uh, that did well. But, you know, some of my other guys included Ben Francisco and, you know, Owen Miller has been iffy. But, uh, you know, I was just looking up. In the regular season, Vernon plays 11 games. It's 357, 15 for 42. And, bango, here he is in the playoffs. Uh, which shows you how it's been this year. It's like if you come up and you show something, you're going to get a shot at it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Terry, if we know anything about Tito, he's going to stick with the guys that got him here. Yeah. In terms of Gonzalez playing right field and Josh Naylor batting against left-handers. Yeah, even like, though that's been tough. I mean, who? Yeah. basically, who are you going to set up there? I mean, we saw Will Benson. I mean, who, there was not much on the bench. Luke Maley, you're going to go with the UK. I mean, there was just wasn't a lot going on. And Naylor has had some, a lot of clutch hits for this team. <laughs> I mean, it is amazing. You're sitting there, we're talking Josh Naylor and Will Brennan and Oscar Gonzalez, and you're going over there, Aaron Judge, Gene Giancarlo Stanton, Anthony Rizzo. It's just incredible. The Gabriel Torres. I mean, he's a Garrett Cole. I mean, on, from a rational point of view, the series makes no sense. That's what makes it fun. It is, is but also you don't have to beat them over 162 games. You got to figure out how to win three. That's it. And if Bieber can beat them and they bring that series to Cleveland, you know, there's a ton of pressure on Aaron Boone and the Yankees because they have not been to the World Series. I mean, this is Boone's sixth year together with with, uh, Judge. He's mentioned that a couple times. Uh, You know, Judge is a free agent. And he's turned down a ton of money. The the World Series, Aaron, that's that's stuff that's a, it's a different vibe than uh, we're used to here. And so, good, you need to turn it on them a little bit. Yeah, and I, I you know I think it would be great for the Guardians and their fans if they could they could win at least one or two games here because it, it kind of reminded me. And Joe Noga, our colleague, wrote about this. The Yankees were interviewed earlier in this week, and they barely even talked about the Guardians. They sure. weren't asked about the Guardians. They didn't bring it up. It's like it reminded me of the 2016 World Series when it was Game Seven, and every time something good happened for the for the Guardians, they showed an, an upset Cubs fan. Yeah, <laughs> and every every time something uh, bad happened to the Guardians, they they showed a happy Cubs fan. It's like the Guardians <laughs> were just the vehicle by which the Cubs were either going to win or lose the World Series. And I think it'd be really good for the Guardians to they deserve some national attention and respect here and i hope they can extend this series out so they get some of that i mean it is i mean if you look at it now the two guys are totally shut down tampa bay totally different lineup but nonetheless mckenzie beaver now it's their turn so let's see what happens but i was not in the mood of pitching beaver on short rest or any of that stuff i remember uh uh earl weaver in 79 brought back they were they were down i think three games to two no they were ahead excuse me three games to two uh against the pirates he tried to close it out and have mike flanagan was a cy young award winner pitch on three days rest 
Flanagan was terrible. They lost. They ended up losing in seven. Uh, I remember Mike Hargrove. I forgot what it year. It was the year the uh, – I think they were up 2-0 on the Red Sox. It was 99 or one of those. He brought back Cologne and somebody else on three days rest instead of four, and it went really bad. Uh, I know it can ha- – some teams, pitchers are able to do it, but in this era of specialist and the way these pitchers are trained – and everything else with pitch counts and all that all the way through the minors. You watch the lower minors, David. These guys are throwing 80 pitches. They're out of there in four innings. I mean, it, it it's just it's totally different than some of us who are older are acclimated to. So that's why when you do short rest, it's a big gamble, I think. All right. Hey, I don't want to move on from the Guardians without talking about Saturday's game with really? Oscar Gonzalez, the, the game-winning home run. I, you know, a lot of people listening – weren't at the game. I'm sure some of you out there who are listening were at the game, but what was it like, Terry, to be there? Maybe you could just kind of capture, and I know you wrote about this, but it was kind of, it was a very special day, wasn't it, at the ballpark? Sure it was, and you saw how well, you know, McKenzie pitched in, in the bullpen, but when they had the bases loaded, I believe, in the sixth inning, and, you know, Ramirez doesn't get the run in. I think he struck out, and then um, Naylor hits into a double play. And then you go seventh inning, eighth inning. Now nobody's getting anybody on base. I mean, the Clevelander and me came up, go, oh, they lost that game in the sixth inning. They're going to lose this one, and they're going to come back tomorrow, and they're going to lose game three. And that's how it goes. But it dragged on and on, and there's Oscar Gonzalez, you know, Corey Kluber. It was an 85-mile-an-hour something. It looked to me like a flat slider. And he just – he. He just crushed it. But there were hardly any hard-hit balls. The fans were just, like, trying to will them to score a run. And when they got two strikes on the different batters, will the Cleveland pitchers to to put it away. It was a neat atmosphere, both of those games. And just to see the whole stands filled in red and all the red towels. um, We've needed for a while some – big game feeling for baseball in Cleveland and both of those games were that and they were close and uh, I need to go back and look at for example like even in 95 I know a lot of those playoff series that when uh, Cleveland had that monster lineup they didn't hit they won because Oral Hershiser was really good and some of the other pitchers Well, we'll see if that plays out this time. And, and I got to say, Terry, that was one of the all-time epic bat flips in Cleveland yeah. baseball history. <laughs> Oscar Gonzalez didn't even look at the ball, leave the park. He just started walking. And then the, the bat flip to uh, end all bat flips. Was, By the way, was wait, till he fig- wait till he really figures out what he's doing at the plate. I'm serious about that. Because the whole thing with him was try not to swing, try not to strike out a lot, and try not to swing at pitches that are about a foot outside. That was basically the only instructions he was given. And and he's Mr. Double. You know, he has a ton of doubles just by making contact. And if you even look at that pitch, he took a good swing at it, but it wasn't a, I'm coming out of my spikes and hat and just throwing my whole body at And that thing was like just a missile. I think it was 411 feet or whatever. Goodbye. And then there he went. So one of those great moves, an epic call by Tom Hamilton. If you haven't heard it, just it's all over the internet. You got to hear it. If you heard it before, you probably want to hear it again. Yeah, it's on cleveland.com too. We we have that up. Good. And, uh, check it out. So, 
someday, and it'll be a really interesting next few days. Uh, game two, again, scheduled for Thursday night. It's supposed to rain in New York. They might have to bump it to Friday, and then we could be looking at a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, two games in Cleveland, and then game five would be back in New York on Monday. They might be playing four days in a row if it gets rained out dummies. tomorrow. So. Let me just say dummies, dummies, dummies. I don't care what TV says. Should be playing today. So you have that off day in New York to take care of that instead of what you're – a needless off day after the first game. I mean, just stupid. Yeah, it's it's TV. You're right, and it's, uh, it's too bad, but that's the way it goes. So you have to play the games. All right, Terry, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, our colleagues who do the Orange and Brown Talk podcast – had a little debate on this, and we Tim Bielek, who we work with, also put up a poll. I want to ask you, who's to blame for the Browns' terrible run defense? When we come back from this break on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking. Terry Pluto and David Campbell. Terry, kind of been a big topic of discussion the last couple of days, including on our site and on our Browns podcast. The Browns' rushing defense on Sunday, in the loss to the Chargers, they were playing a team that was last in the NFL in rushing coming into the game, and the Browns give up 16 carries for 173 yards to Austin Eckler. He had a 71-yarder. We saw the same thing the week before in Atlanta. This team cannot stop the run, and so I want to ask you just right Hold on the one second, here. David. Just yeah. keep going. Uh, 16 and how many carries? Uh, 16 carries for how many yards? For Eckler, 16 carries, no. 173 yards. Okay. And so he had a 71-yarder. It was still means, by the way. In the other 15 carries, he got 100 yards. Yep, 102. And so that is approximately six and a half yards a carry. And his his average for the game was 10.8 when you add the yeah. 71. Uh, the reason there. I'm doing that, remember there was the infamous uh, – Butch, Butch Davis after Jamal Lewis ran over. Well, you take away those three carries, which average, you know, with, with total like 270 yards or something. <laughs> it really wasn't that bad a game. Uh, I remember I did one of those things, and he still averaged like five and a half yards a carry in the other ones. So, and that formula works here too. So, so who do you think is most to blame here, Terry? The players, Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator, or Andrew Barry, who who has put this roster together? Well, Barry went to these light defensive tackles and um coach rez i mean um are the guy who does our films coach coach oh, lance risland lance risland yeah, yep. coach yeah coach lance uh he talked to me at length about that in in training camp and he didn't like it he thought that this was going to be a big problem um, because you want they don't me to run through the, uh, I've got the weights of all the guys. You want me to run through them yeah, real quick? Yeah, sure. Can, okay, so Jordan Elliott is listed as 6'4", 303. I think he's lighter than that. Remember, he lost weight. Mm-hmm. Tommy Togiai, 6'2", 296. Taven Bryan, 6'4", 291. And Perrion Winfrey, 6'4", 290. Mm-hmm. All right, so carry on. I just wanted to sh- get those in there real quick as right. you're making a point here. And, you know, a lot of those guys are well over 300 pounds, but also their style of play you know, some of those guys are uh, on different teams, basically just clog up the middle. These don't. They're, they're kind of – they shoot gaps. They're actually more equipped to rush the passer than to stop the run because the feeling from the front office was we don't mind giving up so many yards on the ground if we could really shut down the passing game. All right. So that was the thinking of the front office. We'll go lighter, quicker up front. 
which means they're going to count on Joe Woods to take care of the back end of the defense, which has been another big problem. So it's like the player personnel and the X's and O's have not gotten together. It's, it's almost like I had to get a new printer because my computer stopped talking to my printer last week. And we've, whenever we've had kind of two devices, and you see it just doesn't work. And I really think in looking at this now, that what, that's something that just hasn't worked for them. Uh, is You would think that with all the money in the, in the, in the um, defensive backfield that they would really um, – yeah, they would just be good covering passes. You know, we talk about blowing coverages and all that junk, but – um, you just you just see these different breakdowns. So I'm actually more, frankly, in the scheme part of it because I don't know what they're doing half the time. Yeah, I'm kind of in the camp. I think Joe Woods and the players have to be held accountable for yeah. everything up to last Sunday. But if you watch that Chargers game, there there are guys they're putting hat on hat and just blowing people off the ball. Yep. And you're right, Terry. That I mean. So all these defensive linemen we mentioned, yes, they're around 300 pounds, but Jordan Elliott is 6'4", 303. Mm -hmm. And Taven Bryan is 6'4", 290. And Perry Winfrey is 6'4". So these are like tall 300 Mm -hmm. pounds. There's no kind of – remember Gerard Warren back in 20 years ago? There's no kind of fire hydrant type guys to anchor the inside of that defense. And I think guys are just getting – they're getting single blocked and that is allowing the offensive lineman get to the second level and block Phillips. And then they're off and running. It's just, uh, I mean, then, then you I, say, I don't well, think they, they're they, built for this. they don't have a really good middle linebacker. Of course they went out. That's why they made some moves. Jacob Phillips has been a big disappointment. They could say whatever they want. Um, he's not doing it. And they, a lot of their strategy was that the NFL and I've talked to top people about this, is faster. It's a passing league. It's a speed league. So the defense, you know, must be linebackers who could run side to side. Think about defending Lamar Jackson, some of these other guys, Mahomes. Uh, they need to do that. So that it would, they felt it was sort of antiquated to have these um, big guys in the middle of the line. The feeling being, Yes, if they run on us, they won't kill us. But if they throw the ball over the place and get big sweeps around in, that's what's going to beat us. That's their thinking. The problem is they're not particularly doing any of it. And, and by the way, be- they okay, had got, they had they had Miles and they had Cl- uh, Clowney back. So let's take that off the shelf. Yeah, that was kind of what people were uh, blaming for the week before in Atlanta when when they gave up that that long mm-hmm. drive. But I, I can only imagine. I mean, the discussion after the loss on Sunday. I mean, they're sitting in a room and Stefanski's like, "We got to fix the defense," and Joe Woods is basically saying, "Well, look who we have up front. Like, we have no we have nobody to anchor the the defensive line. It's a bunch of you know free agents and and young draftees." Yeah, and, and and the middle linebacker stinks. Yeah, and and have you ever seen it? It was like a five-alarm fire. I mean, one hour after the game ended, the Browns traded with Atlanta for Deion Jones, and they gave up a seventh-round pick. Uh, they, they got a seventh-round pick from Atlanta. They get Deion Jones from the Falcons, linebacker, 6'1", 227, and they gave up a sixth-round pick. But have you ever seen 
a Browns team make a trade one hour after a game like that? I, I It must have been like a five-alarm fire. It must there. have. It's like, you have a feeling at halftime, Andrew Berry was calling people. Maybe. You Maybe. might be right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he could have been texting around. Hey, I'm looking at, or maybe they had the eye on Jones for a while, and they're like, what, is, he, is he breathing? I know he's on IR. Is he breathing? Good. We'll take <laughs> we'll him. We'll take him. <laughs> we'll take him, you know, and then we'll figure out uh, something later on uh, in terms of compensation, you know, because they always make these complicated deals. I mean, we can, they always said, well, Pro Bowl or Jones, it was 2017. Now, he's had some decent years after that, but he's been hurt. Yeah, he's originally a second-round pick by the Falcons in 2016, and he has appeared in 85 games. And, yeah, he, they, they just activated him off of injured reserve, so he will be available, it looks like, for Sunday against the Patriots. But, uh, boy, just – and that's, you know, we, we talked about Joe Woods' job security a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think this was a good sign for Joe Woods, the fact that they moved so quickly yeah. to upgrade, maybe not even just add to the roster. I, I don't know if they've upgraded or not, but that has to be a good sign for Joe Woods that like, yes, we're deficient and we have to make some moves. And then it's like, okay, let's see what you do with this. Right. And, and real quick, Terry, I just want to mention uh, the other player that the Browns signed was a defensive tackle, Tyler Davison. They signed mm-hmm. him to the practice squad, and he's 6'2", 310, so he's a little shorter than some of the yeah. other guys, and, and he's 310, so he's got about 10 more pounds. Eighth NFL season out of Fresno State. So are these moves going to matter, do you think? Jones and Davis. I mean, if Jones is 80% of what he was, yes. And by I say that simply because he hadn't played. If he's 80% of that guy that made the Pro Bowl, 80% of that guy that started 80-some games, yes. It'll make him better. Um, the other guy... Is he any good against the run? I haven't done any research on it. I don't know. Yeah, he's got, uh, let's see, 216 career tackles, five sacks, started 11 games for Atlanta last season. So mm-hmm. he's, he's so, got some experience. And again, he's just he's just built a little differently than some of these guys they have. Now, they probably won't have uh, Denzel Ward this week because isn't he in concussion protocol? He he's is, had yes. them before. I think this is at least his third, if not more. Because I remember the one year, I think he had two. So they have to go slow and careful with that. Um, I still look, I look back at in that game, and David, maybe you're, and you are better at some of this football stuff than I am. I saw a lot of the misdirection things, both setting up uh, runs and passes. And it seemed like the, Browns were always just going after the first direction. Wherever wherever the play went first, they went there. And then they were just scrambling to tackle a guy from behind. Yeah, I think it was some of that. I mean, the one touchdown, I believe that Denzel Ward was on the end of the line and was supposed to hold contain, and he got sucked in, and they had an easy walk-in. Mm-hmm. The Chargers did. So I think it's sometimes it's being physically outmatched, and I think you're right. Sometimes it's misdirection, and they're in the wrong spot. Uh, but they, they got to fix this because, you know, you think they're playing Bill Belichick this week and Bill Belichick's mantra is do your job. And the Browns, the Browns have at least one guy. It seems like sometimes more on defense who are not doing their assignment on every play. And if that happens, things break down and and you better believe it. You're right. You mentioned Lance Reisland before Lance told us before the season, not only that he was worried about the inside of the, of the defensive line, but also the types of runs. Lance said people are going to run downhill straight at these guys. Mm-hmm. 
instead of going around the end like you were talking about. And that's exactly what has happened. That people are just going right at them. I also find it odd that like when Eckler break past the line of scrimmage, once again, it's almost like a blown coverage. There's nobody there. I mean, nobody's around. I don't know what the safeties are doing. It's like I'm almost like going to dig up Greg Williams with his angel. We wondered why he had Peppers like 25 yards behind the line of scrimmage. He just said, well, we're going to stop him from doing that. Now, I'm not suggesting you put somebody way back there, but it seems like there's nobody back there. I don't know what John Johnson's doing besides throwing a helmet. Yeah, that was another play that I know Kevin Stefanski wasn't happy about. They had thrown a helmet. They had, um, I think they had four 15-yard penalties in that game. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm just discouraged, David, because if you told me before the season that the Browns are going to average 26 points a game against the teams they played, the first five teams, I'm saying four and one. Because you figure somewhere in there you lose one. If you told me going into the game, we got to eat some words now, David. It's time to unleash (laughs) Cade York. Let him try these longer field goals. And you told me he had a 46-yarder and a 54-yarder. He needed only one to make a difference in the game. I said, oh, let's celebrate now. He'll make them both. And he missed them both on the same end of the field, almost the same way, just off to the right. So how are you feeling about Cade York at this point, Terry? The Browns say they're behind 100% and he's going to make his next kick. And he's he said in interviews that I, I'm when I miss one, I don't dwell on it. I, I'm focused on the next one. But how are you feeling about Cade York at this point? Um, I do wonder if the miss in the first one led to the miss of the second one. That's That's how you find out. I'm thinking that he is drafted there for a reason. I don't think what we saw in training camp or whatever is a complete fluke. He's got the ability to do it. Phil Dawson will tell you that if if he goes, if you go back and look at the first year for me, and I'm going to dig up his stats as we're talking, he goes, I easily could have gotten cut again. Remember, he had been cut a couple times in training camp by two other teams. And he said, that's the mistake that they sometimes make is they they give up on us, it means kickers, too quickly. You know, you have to assess is this guy, um, especially when they're just finally getting their first chance to kick. You know, not a guy that's been with three different teams and, and keeps getting, um, you know, keeps getting cut. He just meant that, you know, your first shot at it. All right, here we go. How about this, Dave? First year for Phil Dawson, he was 8 of 12 making field goals. He missed four. He missed two between 30 and 39 yards. He missed two between 40 and 49 yards. But he kicked a big one to beat the Steelers. <laughs> That's right. And he told me when I was interviewing him for Vintage Browns, he says, I don't make that kick. I'm not sure I'm around for year two. Then the second year, so he only made 66% of his kicks the first year. Then the second year is 14 to 17. And then the next year he's at 88%, and off we go. But he said that first year is so pressure-packed that um, – and York's, he's good enough. They just need to 
to stick with them. It would be good, you know, fans are talking about talking to Phil Dawson. Now is when it would be good to talk about Phil Dawson, to talk to Phil Dawson, because now he's kicked there a couple times. He's missed two extra points. He's missed two field goals. And he's five games into it, and he's playing under different pressure than he ever had at LSU or anywhere else. He is learning how to kick Terry in, in First Energy Stadium. I, I was I think last week we talked about why the Browns didn't let him kick in Atlanta when they were inside and it was a turf field. Mm-hmm. And obviously kicking at First Energy Stadium is a whole different yep. kettle of fish. But uh, the thing that I, I think there's been two times this season, one was Sunday and one was I think in the preseason where I saw him miss a kick and he didn't adjust on the next one. And both of the field goals against the Chargers were at the same end of the field, the opposite the dog pound. Yeah. And he, you're right. He, it was the same kick both times. Mm-hmm. And you know, you got to adjust if if you're fading a little bit right. You got to aim for the left. I mean, I'm no kicker, but I used to be. <laughs> but you got to yeah. aim for like the left third of the goalpost area and and let it fade back. You can't miss it the same way twice. So he'll figure it out, I think. And you're right; it will take time. But uh, Dawson those are, those says are some something interesting to me too. If you, I, granted, I, you know, it's my book. Um, Vintage Browns. But I'll tell you, the discussion in there with Dawson about kickers is as in-depth as whatever as you'll find unless you're going into like these deep kicking websites. But for the and he mentioned too, he said these special teams coaches, they almost know nothing about kicking. That's really not what they do. He said, now you could we he goes, that's why if you see sometimes even before a game, kickers are talking to each other. From other teams, he said, just because we're, it's almost like knuckleball pitchers in baseball, which there's none now, but it used to be they, they had their small community. Well, it's the same thing with kickers. And nobody, basically, nobody understands us. And that's pretty close to being right, except another kicker. And nobody understands maybe how to play the wins and this until they've, they've done it. Or I will add this. I think kickers are sometimes mistrustful of coaches who've never kicked trying to tell them how to kick. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. So, All right, yeah. well, Cade York will have another chance on Sunday. The Browns have the Patriots down at First Energy Stadium at 1 o'clock on Sunday. So we shall see what the winds look like and the weather. It's Whatever it is now, it's going to change. So Yeah, whatever it is that. now, it's going to get worse. Cause, That's right. And, and Dawson will also tell you, you really don't start kicking in Cleveland, the NFL, till November. That is when you are liable to get anything. I love you can tell, I love talking about it because it's fascinating, and as you know, you see, it's it's so important. He makes one of those kicks. We are having a different discussion. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Terry Cavaliers. Let's get into the Cavs a little mm-hmm. bit. The Donovan Mitchell era has begun. We've seen some preseason basketball. What is your impression so far of how the Cavs look? It seems like they kind of just acclimated really quickly and it looked really smooth from the start. But uh, what are you seeing? I'm, I'm excited, far more excited now about the Mitchell trade than when they made it because I was curious just to see how the two small guards would look and that. Uh, they still have to work out some of their chemistry thing, but my goodness, Mitchell, Mitchell's a player. I mean, he can get to the rim anytime he wants. Mike Fertello said, I don't want to go too far. He said, but he's one of the closest I've seen to Joe Dumars, you know, those are older, um, the old combo guard. 
And even though he isn't quite that tall, he's sort of stocky. And if he really wants to defend, he should be able to do it. And my goodness, he could he could score. And I'm just excited about that. Um, and really, you know, we haven't seen them with Evan Mobley. It's funny. I, I, I turned on the TV the other day, and they go, well, there's Mobley. And I go, that doesn't look like Evan Mobley. I forgot his brother was on the team. Yep. And because like he did something kind of clumsy and this, I go, oh, that, what happened to him? <laughs> he had a rough off season. I go, oh, that's right. He's hurt. He hurt his ankle. Uh, so if you can get a backcourt that's very capable of throwing in between, I would say, 42 and 55 points a night, and that's not unreasonable with Garland and, and Mitchell, then you to have those defensive guys, and you're on your way. The only thing I worry about, which I didn't see, is those two guys who like to score and that, neither one of them have been looking to really throw the ball to the low post. They've been looking for the big guys on the pick and roll and the lob. But don't forget, Jared Allen makes 70% of his shots. When the big guy sets up down low, take a moment, throw an extra pass around, and get it to him. He's either going to get fouled or he's going to score. And that is a very good thing because we want to get fouls, as I'm speaking as a coach, on the other team. And the floor spacing is going to be so different this year mm-hmm. for, the, for the Cavs in terms of, you know, you dump it in and, you know, if Allen doesn't get a shot, kick it back out, swing it around. You got Kevin Love in the corner. You, there's, there's so many options now coming out of that dump in that you're talking about. Yes, Exactly. And make them you make them play defense and and Jared's not a bad passer he can get it over the other side um, I'm I'm a, I can't wait till they play for real Dave I really that's why I wanted to tell fans I am excited about this I am not sold at all by the way as Karis Levert at the small forward uh, I know that that looks to be going that way but um, he's another guy that likes the ball I'd rather bring him off the bench than have him out there because. If he's not seeing the ball and you have the two guards at Mitchell and Garland having it quite a bit, when he gets to him, he's going to want to do something with it. Uh, and he's not going to keep it moving. Whereas if he comes off the bench and one of those guards is out and somebody else is out, um, he could just kind of be in the real scoring mode. I'm not sure who that's going to be other than I have to admit, I always forget Chetty Osmond's on the team. And then when I see him play, it's like, I I just don't get Chetty Osman. He's just way too inconsistent for me. And and has uh, had plenty of opportunities. Yes, he has. Yeah. You know, he's making like seven million a year. Kind of like what we get for the podcast. That's right. <laughs> That's just for one month. For so one month, doing, yeah, we're, we're right. Doing all right. <laughs> all right. So the Cavs do open their season a week from tonight, which is October nineteenth, uh, next wow. Wednesday. They're at Toronto. And a 7.30 tip-off. And the home opener, Terry, is going to be on Sunday night, the 23rd. And we could have the Browns playing at Baltimore at 1 that day. And we could have, who knows, the Guardians might be playing that day, too. It could be. Wouldn't that be something? That would be something. So, uh, But anyway, NBA season is just about here a week away. And that sure went fast. So, all right, Terry, I want to get to your faith in you column this week. And again, you should check out Terry's faith in you every weekend. It's on cleveland.com on Saturdays. And then in the plane dealer on Sunday, 
this week you're writing about people pleasers mm-hmm. and kind of how we have this, I don't know, human inborn desire to help people. And you write about saying yes to people and, and when we should say no. It's a very interesting topic. Yeah. Well, basically, it was one of the things I thought Stephen Covey's a, a business writer, uh, coined the phrase, but I couldn't find it totally attributed to him. Was when you say yes to something, it means you said no to something else. For example, if I said yes to you right now uh, to do the podcast, suppose somebody had inter- you know, asked me to go to lunch. Well, the answer is no to them. Uh, and that doesn't mean that, but we, a lot of times when we say, before we say yes, we just think of what are we saying no to? And I even mentioned there's a couple places in scripture where it said, and Jesus withdrew from the crowd to go up to the mountains to be with his father and pray. And the point being, everybody wanted Jesus uh, to come, to come to dinner with them, to heal them, to come to, you know, somebody was sick. In other words, he was always, it's almost like being the head of a big family. If you're the head of a big family, uh, or even if you're taking care of someone who's elderly, special, it seems like it never ends. They always want you to do something. And you keep saying yes and yes. And then after a while, of course, what happens, why did I ever say yes to this? I can't believe I'm sitting in this stupid committee meeting. Then we get resentful and we take it out on the people around us. Well, they didn't put a, they might have pressured us, quote unquote, to take it, but they didn't put a gun to our head. It's, it's our call. So I, what I really wanted people to do is when they read that and one, think about when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else and give yourself a break. Go to the mountains. You know, by that, I mean, even just go to your room or just stay alone for a little while and get yourself together. Yeah. And it, you know, when I, was, when I was reading the column today, uh, it made me think of when you're on an airplane and they say when the air, if the air masks come down, put yours on first. You better. Before you, you know, you do your child or someone you're with. And it, it, it's kind of like that that you're talking about, Terry. You, you need to make sure that you're giving yourself enough time to recharge and then you can help people. But if you're if you're if you're wearing yourself down, you won't have that energy and kind of that goodwill. And the story starts yeah. with a um Father uh, Father Lane from St. Pascal's Catholic Church in Highland Heights told me uh, a close friend of his did a wedding, and it's like the lady who was getting married about two months before told her parents, "Boy, I don't feel good about this or whatever." They're fine. Stop. Don't do it. And then she talked to the other family, and next she just wouldn't call it off because she didn't want to disappoint people, and it ended up with a disastrous marriage and that. And he said that uh, it also is a thing that sometimes he talks to young people who are getting ready to get married. Look, I know this there. Don't get married just because now you've made all these plans. It's a lot easier to get out of the plans than to get out of a marriage. But it's amazing how we will let people's expectations force us to make some huge, even life-changing decisions. All right. Well, check that out this weekend. Terry's Faith and You column, always a good read and always relevant. And uh, I, I can tell you, I always get something out of it every single week. So give that a look. So, all right, you ready for some Hey Terry questions? Sure. All right. This one is from William Dragon. He is a professor of psychology and behavioral neuroscience at Cornell College in Iowa. He says, hey, Terry, I heard your podcast the other day where you talked about booing and the cost of tickets and how hard people work in their daily job. 
to be able to afford to go to a game. My father loaded trucks six days a week, and he could afford to go to a Browns game once every couple of years because money had to go for essentials and a mortgage and a modest home in Garfield Heights, sending three kids to Cleveland State for college. Your comments really resonated with me on the amount of work people put in to be able to afford a ticket to a single game. I'm afraid some players have lost sight of the average fan's financial situation. We are not all corporate VPs. Thanks again for your wonderful work and comments. And P.S. I love your faith column. Thanks for the for that letter, William. Um, what you, we talked about, you know, a lot of the Browns fans have been booing at the end of games, and the players have been asked about it. Um, what'd you think of what William had to say? First of all, his father said yes to his family, no to himself. I was thinking about that. Six days a week means he was working overtime all the time, or that extra day at least. Secondly, there's nothing to be gained for fans. I'm sorry for players getting into fans shouldn't boo or whatever. It just It'd be just like me when I get some really bad emails and I read a whole column saying, oh, I'm getting a bunch of really bad emails why these people hate me. When I realized they were just frustrated oftentimes by what happened with the Browns. Some some ugly stuff came in (laughs) on Monday, you know, so that's okay. Because they're, first of all, fans are, you know, it's short for fanatics. Secondly, they're the audience, they're the customers. Now, that does not excuse fans to use obscenities, throw things. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about the general, oh, boo, I, can you believe that? You know, what Cade Morgan missed. I thought this guy was a great kicker. Here he is. It's off to the right. Well, what do you think? He missed. And people did make a major investment. The vast majority of fans there are not wealthy. And they've been coming for decades, if not longer, if it goes back into family. And so they feel it. I'll tell you this, play in front of empty seats. How much fun is that? Well, unfortunately, we found out about that, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that letter, uh, William. We appreciate that. Uh, And real quick, if you want to send us uh, your thoughts or a question for Hey Terry, you can send it to sports at cleveland.com and put Hey Terry or Terry's talking in the subject line. and We'll try and uh, get it on next week's podcast. So, all right, this one's from Alan Gilbert from Westerville. He says, hey, Terry, thank you for making it so enjoyable to be a Cleveland sports fan, even when things are not going so well, but they are today. I don't know that this is true, but it seems obvious. Why do Terry Francona's teams have such a higher winning percentage at the end of the year than the beginning? I think more than most managers, he experiments to figure out what works. Each season and each team is different. He tinkers a lot early to see what works and what does not work. When it does not work, his teams lose, but he learns. After the All-Star break, he starts to figure out the winning formula for that team for that year, and he really leans into it. That's what I think. I'd love to see some stats that bear that out. What do you think? What often happens at a training camp is they will take some players with them that they really have a lot of doubts about, but they're out of minor league options. I mean, the opening day lineup had Bobby Bradley and Yu Chang in there. And they knew that this was iffy, but they thought, well, let's see. Secondly, they believe, you know, Frank Hunter talks April in Cleveland, which he believes is, is tough on first-year players that haven't been through it. So they really believe in keeping their better prospects down in the minors get their confidence going. So when they bring them up in May or June, uh, they're just feeling better about themselves and the weather is warmer. So those are the two factors. And the, you know, the other thing you have here, what I've said about the Browns talking about alignment, well, you got alignment with the, with the guardians, 10 years of Terry Francona, Mike Chernoff and Chris Antonetti 
working together. So they have a theory on how this should be run. The season goes. And as you mentioned, you know, he begins to figure things out. Um, and by the way, remember they had him and this played short opening day again. And Francona went as, no, this is just not, we need to get Ahmed over there, you know, put the kid at second and let's just play. And frankly, they said, you Chang can't play. We love you, but he can't play. Bobby Bradley, I can't watch it anymore. By the way, spring training, Bobby Bradley was brutal. You know, get him out of here. And so they they did that. And so they uh, – it's just – but I also believe had there not be the chemistry between the front office and the manager and coaching staff, it wouldn't keep working out like this. It is really something. They're, we've talked about this. They are very good at what they do from top to bottom. Uh, and, but all you got to do is look at that run to end the regular season. A, what was it? 26 out of 30. Yeah. 26 uh, out of 30. That, and then that just, that, that just is the result of everything you just talked about. And, so. you know, just their, I mean, the first year you were here, they won 10 in a row. Remember to make the playoffs in that 2013 with Francona. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, uh, just strong finishers. All right. Thanks for that letter. So we got one more. Hey, Terry, it's, uh, Hey, Terry, guys, I love the Terry's Talking Pod. Terry, I have read you every day for a few decades. I turn 55 in a few weeks, even though we have lived in Minnesota the last 10 years. I view you as an old friend who connects me to home, and there's something special about keeping that connection. I just wanted to say thanks, as always, for the articles in the pod. You are special to me and help keep me connected to Cleveland, as does Mary Kay Cabot. My boys are both out of college now, and one is writing for a local magazine in Columbus. He was an English major at Ohio State. I asked him why he chose to do that recently, and he said he thought it was cool that we would read the Hudson Hub Times when it came, and that I read the paper every day while he was growing up. Dad, you would always quote Terry Pluto or cut out the article and tell us to read it, and then we would have a conversation about it. That had a big impact on me, and I thought it would be neat to write like that and have people find what I do interesting or give them perspective. So that was his son saying that to him. And then this is from Brian Kirkendall, by the way. And Brian says, to this day, I cut parts of your articles out and send them just via text now. Thank you for being a big part of our life, Terry. I thought that was a really touching letter, Terry. Yeah, it is. Brian Kirkendall. And as, and I could turn around and say the same thing about Hal Lebowitz and uh, Chuck Heaton and remember some of the guys at the old Cleveland Press who I ended up working with, Bert Grafe being one of them. Dan Cogwin also was at the Point Dealer. Um, my father loved uh, Gordon Cobbledick, and he. There were very. I've written more books than there were books in our house, but although we did have, remember those grocery encyclopedias for those of you earlier. We had all those, but we didn't have too many other type of books. Uh, but the newspapers. We lived in Parma, and then later Northfield. We always got the press, and the Plain Dealer. So, and that was just a given. Not just one paper, two papers, and my parents both read them. And I used to think if I could be in the paper, that would be cool. And, you know, but he mentioned the Hudson Hub. Uh, one of the first places I wrote for money was the Twinsburg Bolton. A guy named Kevin Plagman hired me to write $20 for every story I wrote on the Twinsburg High School basketball team. People wonder why I write so much because early in my career, so many of my stories and work, basically, it was piecework. You know, this story for X amount of dollars. By the way, to this day, David, when I get a check from somewhere else, I can't I cash it right away because back <laughs> in those days, some of those places from dubious publications, uh, those checks had more holes than Swiss cheese. So I get them to the bank 
immediately. <laughs> well, thanks for that letter. It was uh, really a nice uh, thing to read, and I just wanted to kind of share that with, with everybody. And look how far you've come, Terry. You've gone from t- writing uh, writing stories for twenty dollars. Now you're making seven million dollars on a podcast. So yeah, you know, you just never know what life will bring. <laughs> That's right. If that can happen, the Guardians could come back and upset the Yankees. There you go. So, all right, that is going to do it. Uh, anything else, Terry? That'll do it for me. All right. I just wanted to put a quick plug in there. We are really excited about the stuff we have on our website. And check out subscribing. Uh, I think the easiest way to do it is if you go to our Browns page, cleveland.com slash Browns. There's a blue banner at the top. You can click on that. Uh, if you become a subscriber, and it's only like, I don't know, seven bucks a month or something, you get access to everything on the website. You can get a daily Browns newsletter. We have a texting service where you can text with Mary Kay, Dan, Ashley, and Irie, our four Browns reporters. Um, it's a it's a great benefit, and I uh, just wanted to put a quick plug in there because we appreciate all of our subscribers, and uh, the podcast is certainly part of what we do, so we thank you for listening. So that's it. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the weekend of baseball. We hope the weather's nice. Get out and enjoy it, and we'll see you next week on Terry's Talking. 